Good evening and welcome to Revelation Bible Study. We are doing chapter 16 tonight. And I was just talking to some in here that if we keep this up, one, one chapter a week, we should be through by easily middle of January. But any prayer requests uh, online or here in the room, if not, we will go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house to worship, to praise, to honor your name. Lord, I ask that you'll anoint my lips as I endeavor to bring forth your message. Lord, that you'll anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Chapter 16, starting with verse 1. Now, this is the good chapter. This is the chapter where everything happens. If you've never read Revelation, this is the one where, this is the end of tribulation, and this is really, I, I think the real reason why people ever even open the book of Revelation is because of chapter 16. Verse 1, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Now, some translations will say that that is bowls. So it's not vials like we would know it in a chemistry lab, but it is actually a bowl that they're carrying. John hears a great or loud voice coming from the temple. This voice is likely the voice of God commanding the angels to pour out the vials full of the wrath of God, Revelation 15 and 7. Each of the seven angels will in succession and quick succession pour out their vial into the whole earth and each of the plagues or vials are horrible in effects. The question though is do these seven vials correspond with the seven trumpets we just recently read about? The answer is probably not. These vials are much worse than the trumpets just as the trumpets were worse than the seven seals. The opening of the seven seals was at or toward the start of the tribulation. The seven trumpets marked the middle or toward the middle of the tribulation, and that began the great tribulation. And now the seven vials are toward the end of the great tribulation. You can loosely compare it to literature with the introduction, the climax, and the ending. However, the end of the tribulation is terrible and is designed to judge those that worship the Antichrist. So if we would do a flow chart of these events, the seventh seal would be the top, and then underneath the seven seals are the seven trumpets, and underneath that is the seven vials. But the vials are the worst of the three. Verse 2, And the first went and poured out his file upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. Only those that had the mark of the beast and worshipped the Antichrist actually got these bulls or these sores, whatever you want to call them, these lesions. The first angel poured out their vial, and every person with the mark of the beast or who had worshipped the Antichrist was stricken with horrible sores, over their entire body. In Job 2, verses 7 and 8, So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore balls from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd 
to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. He took broken ceramic, broken pottery, just to try to alleviate some of the, the pain and suffering. I am by no means saying that the sores in the end times were the same as what Job had. Nor am I saying that Job's sores were as bad as the end times. However, I find it interesting that Satan inflicted a righteous man, Job, with sores, and they were uncalled for. But God inflicts the unrighteous with sores. When you look at this in that fashion, because in the end times the people are rebellious and evil, the sores of the end times are probably magnitudes worse than in Job's day. And those at the end times were warranted, justified. The ones of Job were not justified. God allowed it to happen, yes, but Job was considered a righteous man. Those at the end times are not considered righteous. And the second angel quickly poured out his vial upon the sea, and I use the word quickly, the Bible doesn't. And it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. So you've got sores on land, now you've got blood, water turning to blood. Quickly following the first angel, the second angel pours out his vial that he has. This vial contains the power to transform the water of the oceans into blood, or at least what looks like blood. The first of the ten plagues were God through Moses turning the waters of Egypt into blood. But also in the second trumpet, in Revelation 8 and verses 8 and 9, we, we see, And the second angel sounded, as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. The third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. It was a third for the trumpets. But if you go back and reread verse 3 of Revelation chapter 16, it says 100% or every living soul died in the ocean. Now, that's a quite a bit of aquatic life. That's not people that's living in the ocean. That's actually... The animals, the mammals, the, the fish, the reptiles, whatever. He calls them living souls. Yes, animals do not have souls. But what it refers to is having the breath of life. They, everything that is alive in the ocean that's left has now died because the water has become toxic. Now, that's just one angel, and it's all of the water. In the trumpet, the one angel sounded, and a third of the water turned to blood. But this angel pour, pours out what's in his vial or his bowl, and 100% of the ocean turns to a blood red, and 100% of the things that's in the ocean dies. So not quite a correlation between the trumpets and these seven vials. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. But at least we still have fresh water and freshwater aquatic life. Oh, well, at least we do until the third angel pours out his vial. When the third angel pours out the third vial, all the fresh water on the earth turns to blood, and the third trumpet sounds. Revelation 8 and 11, And the, man, 
The name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many died of the waters because they were made bitter. See, again, when the trumpet sounds, it's a third. When the vials poured out, it's a hundred percent of what's left. So, no, this is not in correlation. This is not at the same time. This is not a different way of telling the trumpet story. This is a actual honest-to-goodness event in quick succession at the very end of the tribulation period, and everything is happening. Number Verse 5, And I heard the angels of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. Chapter 16 is one of the many reasons many preachers and teachers do not want to talk about or preach from the book of Revelation. But it is probably one of the reasons, chapter 16 is probably one of the reasons why people read the book of Revelation. The loving God we serve would not do this to us. This chapter must be all symbolic. Because God would not be justified in doing what the chapter has already said he will do. Or at least that's man's thinking. But God is justified. God is righteous. However, the angel here proclaims that God is righteous because he is judged in this fashion. If you are told that there is a liquid that if you drink it you will die an agonizing death and you drink it knowingly, whose fault is it? If you are told driving in excessive speeds you will crash and die a horrible death, and you constantly drive very fast. Whose fault is it when you crash? God is warning the world, but the world is not listening. We don't want to think of God being wrathful. We don't want to think about God being angry. We don't want to think that God would do something like this to us. But we're doing it to ourselves by not listening. Men and women are not designed to go to hell. And hell wasn't designed for men and women to go to. But because of the sin of disobedience, we take ourselves to hell. Because of the sin of disobedience, these individuals that are left here on this earth will experience the seven wraths of God or the seven vials or the seven bowls or whatever you want to call it but you're they're going to experience all of this those that survive anyway because men and women are dying like well they're dropping like flies throughout these seven vials verse six for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and thou hast given them blood to drink for they are worthy what goes around comes around the people are being judged in this fashion and the same people who killed the innocent, the Christians, and those that were blameless. No, God is giving back to them what it is like to be tortured and die. Just as they did to the Christians, he's doing to them or allowing it to happen. In this case, he's actually doing it. These are all from God. All of these wraths, all of these vials, all of these bowls are from God. They're supernatural from the heavens. Satan cannot do 
what is happening in chapter 16. This is from God. Now he's got the world's attention. But we'll see a little later on that even though he's got their attention, he doesn't have their hearts. He doesn't have their minds. He's just got their attention. And they still won't repent. But that's coming up in a later chapter. Verse 7. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Because the people of the earth were warned in plenty of time to repent and elected not to repent, this punishment is on them. And God is righteous, true, and blameless. Often the country of Israel, before bombing a particular area, will drop pamphlets written in the language of that area, warning that at a certain time the area will be bombed. They've been doing this for a long time. They'll fly over, drop pamphlets, get out of this building, we're about to blow it up. If the people do not want to be hurt or killed, they will move out. When the time comes for the bombs to drop, if any is still in the area, it is their fault not with Israel. They telegraph, they tell the enemy, hey, or they used to, I don't know that they're still doing it now, especially what happened in the United Nations just the other day. I doubt seriously that they're really talking to a lot of people. But the United Nations uh, General Assembly, the UNGA, has uh, told Israel they have to get rid of all their nuclear weapons. Yeah, right. I tell you what, boys, you want them, we'll give them to you. God is righteous in what he is doing. Israel, when they don't provoke the attacks normally, but they will stop the attacks. They, they go over and above and beyond what you hit them, you kill two, they're going to hit, hit you and kill ten. So they're going to go over and above. But they drop those pamphlets and tell you, hey, we're about to blow this place up. Leave. Whose fault is it if you get killed? friend of mine once told me, said, oh, it was uh, God set Adam and Eve up for failure. That caught my attention. I said, how did God set Adam and Eve up for, for failure? Oh, well, he put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden. He knew that they would eat of it. Okay. So you've set your daughter up for failure. What do you mean? I said, well, has she ever been burned? Well, yeah. Did you tell her that heater or that stove was hot? Well, yeah. But you put the heater or the stove there. And he stopped and he looked at me, point taken. I said, well, we, we want to point fingers and we want to blame others for our problems and our situations and our issues. But let's really look at ourselves in the mirror and say, okay, you idiot, you're at fault. These people were at fault. It's not God. God's warned them for 6,000 years, God has warned us, this is coming, and we are still not prepared for it. How much longer will he wait before he comes back? Just because he has it doesn't mean that he won't. Verse 8, and the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. No one has a clue what this means. I'll be honest with you. And if you hear somebody say, oh, wow, I, I figured out verse 8. No, you don't. You don't have a clue. How can an angel pour something on the sun and it give it more energy? 
It just doesn't work. Just because you put more gasoline in your vehicle or you put more diesel in your vehicle doesn't give it more power. It just allows it to go further. If this angel pours out a vial upon the sun, power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. Now, I will tell you that climate people get all over this verse. Oh my gosh, this is it. This is our smoking gun. Quickly following the pronouncement of the angels regarding God's righteousness, the angel pours another vial out. When this vial is poured out, it gives strength to the sun. How it does this, I have no clue, and nobody else does. Perhaps it removes the ozone layer above us. Perhaps it moves the earth on its axis that the sun is more directly impacting the earth. Perhaps our sun becomes a supernova. Some environmentalists use this verse to confirm their belief of climate change. And perhaps this is the case. Or perhaps God just makes the sun hotter. I mean, he does have that kind of power. He created it. He can throw another switch. In our home, we have a central heat. And we had issues with it a few years ago because it just kept tripping. It just quit heating. In the middle of winter. I figured out where the relay was, and when it would quit, I'd walk in there and flip the relay, and I'd get a few more minutes, maybe an hour or two down the road. We finally got a serviceman to come in and look at it. He said, my gosh, we have a small home. Our heating unit had two elements in it. No wonder that house stayed so hot. If both elements came on, it was superheating the air. It's a wonder we didn't melt. I don't know if you remember that or not, but we have actually two elements in our heating unit for a very small house. They've disconnected the one that just kept tripping, and we've been running on one heating element all these years, and we're doing just fine. God may have another heating element on the sun that he's not turned on yet, and perhaps he will turn it on with this vial. Maybe it's a chemical reaction with whatever's in this bowl or this vial. Nobody understands how this happens, but we know it happens. All we know is that people outside will get the worst sunburn they've ever had. Those inside buildings and caves and other shelters will not be able to understand, and they will be no better off than those outside. Now, it is very possible that our yellow sun changes and becomes a supernova or a white dwarf or something of that nature. That's extremely possible, and maybe God's given us a foretelling of that. We don't know, but we know that this fourth angel is going to give power to the sun. He's going to put higher octane gas on it or something, and it's going to burn even brighter, and it's going to burn us up. But there will be some people that will survive. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. The oceans turn to blood. You've got balls and sores all over your body. The fresh water has now turned to blood. The sun's getting hotter. And these people are saying, oh, we can still do it on our own. This is God's fault. This is ours. How stupid are humans? I mean, seriously. 
How stupid are we? And even though the heat was intense and the people are being cooked alive from the heat of the sun, literally, they will still not repent and they even curse God. The fourth trumpet sounded and the sun darkened, Revelation 8 and 12, and the fourth angel sounded, third part of the sun was smitten, third part of the moon and third part of the stars, so as the third part of them were darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. Maybe he he turns the sun back on full power. We've been used to it being a third dark, and now we can't handle the regular heat. Maybe that's how it happens. I don't know. But we know that men are stupid, people are stupid, and they're not going to repent of their issues. Now, see, it says, which have power, they repented not to give him the glory. They could still be saved at this point. By repentance, you get salvation. And it's through the shed blood of Christ that we get the repentance. And it's through the repentance that we get the salvation. So these people could still be re saved even at this point, and maybe some were, but the majority of them is not. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. Now, the fifth angel was directed towards one and one thing only, and that is the Antichrist. This vial is strictly for the Antichrist. Joel 2, verses 1 and 2. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess. A day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There hath not been ever the light, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Revelation 9 and 3, And there came out of the smoke locust upon the earth, and upon them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. The fifth trumpet sounds. The bottomless pit opens. Smoke pours out of the pit and darkens the sky. Scorpions come out and torment those that are not sealed by God. However, with the fifth vial, darkness was upon the seat of the area of the beast or the Antichrist. Now, that's all it says is that it was directed it's out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. So outside of that kingdom where he was at, it's still daylight. It's like in the days of the plagues of Egypt. The land of Goshen was separated. In this case, the rest of the earth was separated. It's just where the beast is at. Darkness was upon the seat or the area of the beast or the Antichrist. And the people again had sores. Perhaps the sores from the first vial had not been completely healed. And this is what they experienced, an exasperation of the first vial. Or this is a new and very painful sore. They gnawed their tongue. The pain was so intense that they attempted to do anything to lessen the pain and torture that they were experiencing. It is believed that if they can cause the pain and get their mind off of the pain inflicted by God, that since they are controlling the pain, they are self-inflicting, that it will be manageable. I don't know if you've ever had a pain so great that you would do anything, including bash your head into the wall, to make the pain go away. But I have experienced that kind of pain in my lifetime. I was literally, I know you've all seen dogs 
when they get something stuck in their mouth, they'll scrub their head on the ground trying to get it out like a thorn. They've eaten something and it's got a thorn in it. And they're doing anything they can to get that thorn out of their mouth by scrubbing their head on the ground. Well, I was scrubbing my head on the carpet thinking, okay, anything's got to work. Something's got to break here. Something's got to give. And I was bashing my head on the floor thinking, oh, wow, I might be able to get away from this pain and get to a lesser pain, which is more manageable. Okay, it's not logical, but you never had that kind of pain if you've never done that. I have. It's it's a horrible. I know what excruciating pain means, and we get the word excruciating from the cross. That is the most painful death ever imagined on man, is the cross and the crucifixion. So we get the word excruciating. Well, I know what excruciating means firsthand. I remember when I went to a neurologist and they, they, this lady was doing a spinal tap. If you've never had a spinal tap, I don't recommend you do it. They are painful. They'll tell you, oh, it's just a little pressure. Oh, it's a lot of pressure. It feels like your spine's going to snap in two. But this lady was doing her best, and I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing her. She couldn't find the space between my vertebrae, so she just kept hitting the bone with the needle. She would move the needle and she'd hit another bone. She'd move the needle and she'd hit the same bone in a different location. Now you can imagine how that felt. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty at all. I've lost count how many times she jabbed me in the back with, with a syringe. I lost count. She swore she hit my bone about 20 times. But I'm laying there, and I finally told her, I said, okay, that's enough. I cannot do this any longer. I am not going to do this. And I finally looked at her and said, well, Doc, you got my mind off my headache. It's now on my back. You got my mind off my head. And she's just bawling her eyes out. She said, I ought to slap you. How can you joke? And I told her later, I said, you need to change the posters on the wall. I read those already. She says, would you stop it? So I know what that kind of pain is, and they're gnawing their tongues trying to get away from the pain that these sores are, are, are actually inflicting on them. And there is no relief at all. Verse 11. And blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repent it not of their deeds. Come on, this is a way. It's not a pretty picture. Very painful. But I don't, I didn't blaspheme God. I didn't curse God. I didn't shake my fist at God. I cried out to God, Lord, give me a break. I had gotten to the point where it's like, Lord, just I, don't even take the pain away. Just cut the edge off of it. Just give me a break. This went on for several weeks. And it was to the point where it was getting hard to manage. And the only thing that they could give me to manage it and never would take the pain away was steroids. And I was popping steroids like crazy. Yeah, I'm glad I don't get road rage, steroid rage, because, man, I would have been crazy. I would have been hurting people. But I know kind of what they're going through, but I also know that you don't blaspheme God. And instead of repenting, again, they could have repented. But they didn't. 
Instead of repenting, they continue to curse and blaspheme God. Now, this is the last place in Revelation that it talks about not repenting. John 6 and 44 states, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Drawing you with their Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you're only a Christian because the Holy Spirit drew you to God the Father through God the Son. This tells me that after this verse, Spirit is removed. Or at least he's told, don't draw people anymore. Through the urging and the drawing of the Holy Spirit, we can come to Christ. But if the Spirit does not draw us, we cannot come. It is at this point that the Holy Spirit is removed from man and will no longer draw them to God. Up until now, repentance could come. But from here on out, there mm -hmm. is no repentance and no salvation for the ungodly, for those that are remaining. And that's only the fifth vial. There's two more to go. Every one of them's getting worse. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. The Euphrates, I don't even know if that's a word. The river Euphrates dries up when the sixth angel pours out his vial. This is in preparation of the mighty army and of the final battle. The river is a physical barrier between Israel and the east and the orient. So when this river dries up, it makes it easier for the enemy's armies to march. The river Euphrates is drying up. And people will say, oh my gosh, it's, that's, a, that's a sign of the days to come. The last days, oh, the river Euphrates is drying up. And there is a, a tradition, a belief out there that there are three angels, or three demons, excuse me, that are buried under the river Euphrates. And when it dries up, those angels are going to be released, or those demons will be released. I got news for them. That water don't keep demons in place. God does, but the waters don't. So if there's three demons buried in the river Euphrates, it's only because God's keeping them there, and it's not because of the water. They could come up at any time. Any, any time. That's a tradition. I cannot find that anywhere in the scriptures. If anybody knows where that is listed at in the scriptures, please let me know, because I have searched and can't find it. That is a, a tradition. Actually, that's a Jewish tradition, I believe, that there are three demons under the river Euphrates. But I was saying, the river Euphrates is drying up right now. It's barely a river in places. And it's because of dams and irrigation and the drought and other things. There's other factors. But this is when the river Euphrates, the vial is poured in the river Euphrates, it sucks up all of the water. The land is hard packed and dry, just as in the days of Moses when he crossed the Red Sea. Just as in the days of Joshua when he crossed the River Jordan, the Euphrates will not be muddy any longer. It will be hard packed. You can drive a car across it. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. Verse 13. I love this verse. Unclean spirits like frogs. Ribbit, ribbit. Out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Now there is an old belief in the mountains 
that if you catch the last breath of a dying person in a jar, that that last breath is the soul that is literally departing the body. And if you catch that last breath in a jar, then that soul can't go to heaven or hell. It's just trapped. But some take it even further and say that that last breath will turn into a butterfly. I don't know where they get this stuff at. I just know it, okay? This last breath will turn into a butterfly. You will have captured a butterfly. Well, in this case, we're going to capture frogs or we're going to see frogs come out of people's mouths. And yes, these are people, except for the dragon or Satan. The mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist. The mouth of the false prophet, that's, well, hey, that's the false prophet. John sees coming from the mouth of the false prophet, the Antichrist, and Satan, a frog-like demon. The frog represents uncleanliness, and it also represents judgment. The plague of frog was the second of the plagues of Egypt, and in this case, the frog-like demon is going to man and lie and deceive so that they will fight in the battle of Armageddon. Now we hear, and I didn't put it in here, but we hear where Jesus is, God's having a, a council session, if you will, and he's trying to figure out how to make Ahab go fight in this army, go fight this enemy army because Ahab was going to get killed. And oh, they're saying all kinds of stuff. And this one angel says, hey, I, I got an idea. I can do it. I can do it. And he said, well, how are you going to do it? He said, I'm going to put in all of the prophets that surround him, all of the wise people that surround him, I'm going to put lies. And I'm going to convince him through them that he will go into this battle and come out undefeated. And God said, oh, I love it. Let's go do it. And, you know, I'm using my own words here. And so Jehoshaphat and Ahab, they go to war with his enemy. Because the prophets have told him, all the wise people have told Ahab, oh wow, except for one, oh wow, you can do this. And with these, with these bars, with these horns, you're going to push the enemy back to the Euphrates and all this stuff. And I think it was the prophet Micah that told him, he said, now you're going to die. You're, you're, you're toast. And they slapped Micah and they said, well, why are you lying to the king? He said, I ain't lying. You're going to die. You will not come back. And they threw him in a whale, chained him out in the, at a whale, and they went out to battle, and Ahab convinces Jehoshaphat to keep his garments on, but he's going to dress like a regular soldier. And they come chasing. The enemies decided that they're only going to focus on Ahab. They're coming after the king. They see the king, which was Jehoshaphat, and they're running after him hard. And he screams, and they said, wait a minute, this is not who we're after. He's got a different voice. And this one soldier, this one armor, arrow, bow and arrow, he just turns around and shoots an arrow and it goes through Ahab's back. And he, he dies. Vindicated of Micah, but we see that lies has deceived armies in the past. We're seeing it happen in the future. These will lie to man and deceive man so that they're going to go battle. They're going to go fight in the battle of Armageddon. Verse 14, for they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. The three demons will deceive mankind in believing that they can prevail. And truly, 
the war to end all wars. Now, we said that about World War I. We said that about World War II. But this is actually going to be the war to end all wars. There will be none other after this. Verse 15, Behold, I come as a thief in the night. Or behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. Christ tells us through John that like a thief using the element of surprise, he will also come when least expected. I can't think of a time in the history of the world that he is least expected than right now. We had better be prepared if we wish to go to heaven with him. Our wedding garments had better be washed and without wrinkles. And we had better have them on. Since without the shed blood covering of our sins and trespassing, the world will see us as we truly are, a hypocrite, and we will not make it to heaven. The king has the big wedding, the big feast, and he sends for all of his friends, and the friends don't come. So he goes out and he, he compels the people, his people, his servants goes and compels the people to come in. And king comes out and everybody is dressed in their wedding garments except for one. And the king walks up and says, why aren't you in your wedding garment? Now, he didn't have to, the, the visitor, the guest did not have to provide the wedding garment. The king provided it for him. All he had to do was wash and put it on. That's all he had to do. And he would have been able to have stayed in the wedding feast. But he's too lazy. He's too complacent. And he didn't wash and put the wedding garment on that the king had provided. That's the reason why he gets kicked out into the darkness and the gnashing of the teeth in, in the scriptures. That's why that one individual gets thrown out of the wedding is because he was too complacent. He was too comfortable. He was too lazy to put on the garment that the king had provided for him. You didn't have to provide the king's. You didn't have to provide your wedding garments. If you were invited to the king's table, he was required to put the garments on you, or at least provide them. Verse 16, And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Armageddon, or mountain of Megiddo, will be where the final battle between good and evil will be fought. Here's a spoiler alert. Good wins, evil loses. In case you didn't know that. I have actually looked at verse of chapter 22, about verse 21, 22, and hey, we win. We win the whole whole shooting match. So, I, you know, I cheated. I went to the end of the book and read it first. Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo, the Mountain of Megiddo, is where everybody believes that the battle will be fought. That's what we believe Armageddon means. It'll be in, in that area somewhere. And it's going to be a, a horrible battle for the bad guys. The good guys, it won't be so bad. Because guess what? We're just sitting there on our horses and we're watching Jesus do all the work. We don't have to do nothing. Jesus fights this battle for us. Verse 17, And the seventh angel poured out his vial. We have finally made it to the seventh angel. Thank you. It can't get no worse. Well, And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven and the throne saying, It is done. When the seventh angel pours his vial out in the air, God calls out, it is finished. Just as Christ spoke on the cross that it is finished, God now declares everything is done. There's nothing left except the victory. It's all over with. 
but the winning. It's all over with, but the finishing. And the battle will soon begin. Verse 18, and there were voices, thunders, and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake, and so great. The strongest earthquake on record is the earthquake off the coast of Chile on May the 22nd, 1960. It registered 9.5 on the Richter scale. That is the most powerful earthquake that we've ever recorded. There could have been, and there probably have been, in the pre-days before we started recording this stuff and before Mr. Richter had his scale, there was probably some very large and bad earthquakes. But this earthquake that Revelation 16 is talking about makes that 9.5 pale in comparison. We had the one that was off the coast of Indonesia that caused the tsunami, what, 9.1 just a few years ago. We've had earthquakes here in North Carolina. We had a 5.4 not too long ago. So we've had some earthquakes. We have earthquakes all the time, all over the world. But this earthquake's going to be special. This earthquake's going to be so special. It's going to feel, you're going to be able to feel this earthquake all over the world, no matter where you're at you will not be able to not notice the ground shaking. It's going to be that bad. And it's going to destroy a good portion of Jerusalem. Because that's where the epic center is going to be. That's where the center of the earthquake is going to emanate from Jerusalem out. It will be felt all around the world. And the great city was divided, verse 19, into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. The earthquake will divide the capital of the world government into three sections, and most people will say that is the new city of Babylon, which some will tell you, even back just a few years ago, really, before we started our wars in Iraq, King Saddam Hussein, the President Saddam Hussein, began to rebuild the city of Babylon. He wanted to move his center of government. He wanted to move from the capital of Iraq, Tehran, or not, not Tehran, uh, I forget what the capital of Iraq is now, uh, Baghdad. He wanted to move from Baghdad back to Babylon and set up his kingdom. And so he started rebuilding Babylon. How stupid was he? Great city was divided into three parts. This earthquake is just going to level Babylon, the new city. Every island fled away and the mountains were not found from in verse 20. Mountains will literally disappear and islands will sink under the water. This earthquake is going to be huge. I can't even imagine. It's going to liquefy the soil. It's going to shake so violently that the soil is going to turn into almost a liquid consistency and things are just going to sink into the ground. That's what scientists tells us. Verse 21. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of talent 
And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hell, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. A talent is about a hundred pounds. We think when we've got, you know, tennis ball sized hell or golf ball sized hell, oh my gosh, that's huge. And it is. But can you imagine a ball of ice hitting your car and that ice weighs about a hundred pounds. It'll destroy the, the car. It'll destroy the house. Now imagine you're out walking, taking a good little stroll one afternoon, and a 100-pound block of ice falls on your head. You're destroyed too. That hail is going to be huge, and it's going to weigh approximately 100 pounds. A hailstone weighing approximately 100 pounds is this earth and man. But not just one hailstone, but a hailstorm of 100-pound hailstones. And it's going to be all over the world. No, thank you. I love storms. I love to stand on the porch. Yes, I'm an idiot. I love to stand on the porch and watch the lightning dance in the skies. And I love to watch the rain. And I love to see the wind. And I... Hurricane Hugo was fascinating to me. I enjoyed it. I did. I loved the wind and the rain and the storm. And hailstorms don't bother me. This would scare me. I don't think I would be standing on the front porch going, yeah, no. Of course, there's nowhere to go. Not in a house. Not in a man's building. You can't get in a building that will withstand a hundred mile or a hundred pound hailstone hitting the earth. You can't do it. There's no place to hide. There is no place to hide. That was verse, or that is chapter 16. We will take up in chapter 17 next week. It's, it's as good as 16. We're starting though to, about verse, chapter 18, we will start kind of getting out of the doom and gloom and we'll start getting back into the good stuff goodness of God and, and to the setting up of the temple and all of that. So you got two more chapters of doom and gloom. And let me tell you, chapter 16 is the scariest one of them all, I think. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. If anybody has a prayer request, hit me up. We'll pray for you. But let us go back to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house, to worship, to praise, study your word. Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch on those that are here, those that are watching, and Lord, those that will watch. Lord, we ask that you'll bless them in, in a mighty and a special way, Lord. Lord, I ask that you'll enlarge the territory so that more people can hear your word. Lord, not my voice and not see my face, but Lord, hear your word as, Lord, the end times are being explained through your word, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen.